Great is the glory of the Lord Almighty. Great is the glory of the Lord. Beautiful song, isn't it? And we just sang it. I wonder if we realize how true it is. And what this one who is great was willing to do for us and model for us. Think about that as I read again a portion of the Gospel of Mark to you from chapter 10. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So far, God's word. Work time. As for the Lord, the desire to be the boss. I think the desire to be the boss is something that most, or at least many of us, might have. You know, to be the boss at work, or at least in your area, to be the boss at home, or at least be the boss of your little brother or sister. I mean, somebody has to be the boss. You know, why, why not you? Why not, why not me? Well, sadly, this desire to be the boss can lead to Lord's work time problems. It goes something like this. Jesus, my agenda, not yours. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. How interesting and telling it is that it should be these two that would ask such a question. I mean, these were two of Jesus' favorite disciples. I mean, they got to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration and see Jesus glorified there. John describes himself as the one that Jesus loved. I mean, they both cared about Jesus dearly. They had given up all they had to follow him. Yet their sinful nature did not allow them to learn, to understand, to listen to what Jesus said discipleship in the church was to be all about. Notice this isn't the question, teacher, we want you to do this for us or that for us. But this grandiose blank check. Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. I mean, how bold. I mean, how brash. How demanding. 
how humanly common. Can't you relate? I mean, don't we ever use the power of prayer that we talk about to Jesus as a blank check? I'm sure not always. We don't go to Jesus asking for his grace and mercy, his help and assistance. And we know he always answers in the way that's best for us. I'm sure James and John did the same. But do we ever think or act in a way that it sure looks like we think we have a blank check with Jesus? Sounds a lot like, teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. That becomes our way of dealing with Jesus. We need to repent, don't we? We need to ask him for forgiveness. Notice how Jesus deals with this blank check request. What do you want me to do for you? Now, Jesus reads minds and hearts. He knew what was going on here. But notice he lets this line of questioning go on. Perhaps to teach a lesson to James and John, to you and to me. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. I mean, they had a taste of that glory, right, on the mount? They wanted to be there. They wanted to be bosses there. Oh, right under Jesus, of course. And Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Okay, so our blank check might be different than, you know, to rule when Jesus comes back in all of his glory. But perhaps the statement, you don't know what you're asking, might fit us, right? I mean, we might ask, what? To be, to be, be the boss at, at work. To win the lottery. To be cured of cancer. But we don't know what's best for us. Jesus does. I mean, we think it would be a, a great idea. And, and be something wonderful for us. But Jesus might know it could be harmful and cause us great difficulties. Look here, just the asking the question caused major problems for those disciples in doing the Lord's work. Specifically, lording over, not serving the Lord. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Nothing like special privileges, right? To cause problems in the church. But who is going to be the boss? I mean, it sounds like Jesus isn't going to be here in, in person. Who is the boss going to be? How is the boss going to be selected? Sound familiar? I mean, it's the way of the world that Jesus is day and in our day today. But guess what, followers of Jesus? He says, that's not the way it's going to be in my church, in my kingdom. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. 
And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. You want to be great? Then be the greatest servant. Serve everyone. Don't try to boss them around or have them serve you. See, the word here for servant um, literally means deacon. And the deacon in, in a church is not the boss, but there's somebody over the deacon that tells the deacon what to do, and the deacon does that. The next word that Jesus uses that's translated slave is literally that. It, it, it's doulas. You want to be first? You want to be number one? Well, then be a slave, slave to all, to everyone. And talk about pulling the rug out from underneath James and John, and most likely his, their mother who was orchestrating all this. So what does this say? What is to be, to the, what is to be the attitude of those who are leading in the church? According to Jesus, that is. Not be the boss, not be the dictator, but be servant and slave. Not what I know is best for this congregation, unless God has told me that clearly in his word. See, what in the world has got into James and John in the ten here? Strong warning for them, right? But a strong warning for us today, who are in leadership roles in the church, be they pastors or principals or elders or other leaders. You know, do we pull out the old pastor card, principal card, elder card, and say things got to be the way I say they are to be? Or are we a servant, a slave of all? When decisions have to be made, and we do that in, in a group setting, and there's a good deal of discussion and some disagreement, how do we come to a consensus? Pastor card? Principal card? Elder card? Do it my way? Because obviously I know what's best. We need to ask, are we being a servant? slave to all? If not, maybe we need to check and see if our names are James and John. And we, like James and John and the ten, need to go to Jesus and ask for forgiveness when we act like James and John and the ten. Jesus went on, these places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Jesus was still going to use James and John and the other ten. Well, sadly, I guess nine of the ten, right? And that same God is going to use our pastors and principals and elders and leaders to do the work of his kingdom of serving and helping others serve, but in the way and the position and the time that he knows is best. Oh, yes, there is a place and a time when the leaders in the church are called on by God himself. For example, 
to approach people that are living in unrepentant sin and lovingly bring that to their attention so that they can understand that and repent of that and receive the sweet message of the gospel. Paul had to do that to the Corinthians, to the Galatians. But as he says, do everything out of love. In a loving fashion, he says, do it gently. The church leaders then, church leaders today, are to look at Jesus, the Lord of the universe, the ultimate servant. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. The Jesus, the Almighty God, the one that we say, great is your glory. Right? He did not come to shove that glory down people's throats. No, he, he came not to be served, but to serve. Think how amazing that is. Think of what he has done in serving. He even calls himself the Son of Man, a, a, a humble title, right? He to whom every knee will bow when he returns chose to be born in a lowly stable. Born of a, of a, of a virgin. He chose to be raised by a stepfather who was a common carpenter. And he took up that humble occupation until he was 30 years old himself. See, Jesus chose to come into this sinful and sin-filled world, not because he had to, but because he chose to. This is not an, a, an example like the TV program, you know, Undercover Boss, where the boss, the CEO, comes and, and pretends he's the new guy in the job and doesn't know anything and observes you know, how his company runs when he's not looking at, you know, at what's, uh, who that he is and then somehow rewards the people that are dedicated and hardworking. I mean, sometimes in this world, hardworking and dedicated, gifted people may end up homeless and helpless because they had no choice. Jesus had a choice. And he chose to come and serve. And in doing so, he carried out the ultimate service. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus served every day of his life. He didn't grumble or complain if he had the most menial task or others were treated better than he was. He didn't envy them or badmouth them. He served in all the ways that we wouldn't or couldn't. I mean, he served perfectly. And then there's this, this perfect record, this medal for being, being perfect on this earth. He put our names on it, the names of everyone presented that to his heavenly father. See, now 
This truly is service from the ultimate servant. But the ultimate service was yet to come. Jesus, Son of Man, came to give his life as a ransom for many. And this was not some secret. The disciples knew that full well. How interesting it is that the section right before this in, in, in Mark chapter 10 reads this way. He says, again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man himself will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, those who mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. The very next words that Mark records are these. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, chose to give up his life for sinful lives of all people, including each one of us. Not out of obligation, but out of necessity, because if he wouldn't have done that, we would have joined everyone else for that horrible existence and punishment in this place called hell. See, it's one thing to get you know, caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's what they say sometimes. These innocent people are getting shot and murdered, you know. But they said the wrong place at the wrong time. That's not what happened to Jesus. If you want to call it a wrong place, he chose to be at that wrong place at that time. He did. He chose to be arrested. He chose to be flogged, spit upon, mocked, and put to death. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to serve in the greatest way possible for us and for all people. Right? So that we could serve in response. Right? He did it and came alive again to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that God the Father accepted that payment. Right? A ransom for many. That's everyone. He shed his blood. He gave up his life. He suffered there on that cross, the punishment of hell, so that we could be bought back, so that we could be redeemed, so that we could become a child of God. A number of you were here at church last night, although you didn't come listen to the message. You, know. you were here for, for a baptism, right? What happened in that baptism? Right? That baby was stamped with paid in full by our good and gracious God as the water and the word were applied to him. That happened to us too, right? When you come and kneel on these red cushions, right? Jesus is saying as he gives you his body and blood, paid in full, sins forgiven, power and ability and opportunities to serve. I give them to you. The question is then, 
How do we respond? Leaders in a congregation like this, how important it is how we respond, how we look at the roles that God has given us, and what a privilege it is to serve him by serving others. And as we do that, imperfect though it may be, and we understand that and we ask for forgiveness, may those who serve you here at Apostles and the love that God has given you be a motivation to want to serve. Maybe it's the nursery. Maybe it's ambassadors. Maybe it's in some other area. What a privilege you and I have of being great in God's kingdom because we have the opportunity to thank him by serving. Amen.